Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. All right, here we go, Luke chapter 5. Let's go, uh, verse 33 is where we're going to start. So big picture of Luke chapter 5 in this little section. If you kind of look at your Bibles kind of from a, from a 30,000 foot view, Luke is showing us five accounts of controversy with the Pharisees, of Jesus beginning to have controversy with the Pharisees. If you look at your Bibles kind of zoomed out, you see he heals a leper, he heals a paralytic, starts to get some, uh, some of the Pharisees say, whoa, whoa, this, this guy, he, there's something to him. And then he calls Levi the tax collector to be his disciple, which totally flips the Pharisees out. We looked at that last week, and then, then they, he even hosts, Levi hosts a party for Jesus, um, and he brings a bunch of sinners to that party, and the, the Pharisees are just blown away that he would do that. And then today, fasting, and then next week on the Sabbath. And so we have five accounts that Luke is going to show us. Remember, his goal, give us an orderly account of Jesus. That's his goal. And so as he's walked through Jesus' arrival, his temptation in the desert, he kind of announces that he's the Messiah uh, when, he, when, he, when he gets up and reads in that synagogue. And now Luke is starting to show that Jesus and the Pharisees are starting to be a wedge that's coming between them. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 33. And they said to him, this is the Pharisees, said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Hey, now remember, the Pharisees are trying to decide what to do with Jesus. If you were not here last week, I challenge you to go back and listen to the sermon from last week. I spent time on the Pharisees, and I had several people come to me and say, man, I've been in church for a long time, and I've never thought about the Pharisees the way it was presented last week. But the, the short version last week, I said to you, the Pharisees aren't automatically the bad guys. That's kind of how we read them sometimes, but really they were the keepers of Israel. They were help keeping the people of Israel focused on God. And so when Jesus comes along, the Pharisees are nervous, like this guy could lead the people away from God. That's their fear. And so that's why they start engaging Jesus. And, and so what we see today is that, that the Pharisees come to him and they're like, why don't your disciples fast? Notice they're criticizing over and over and over. They're criticizing him on good, on good things, you know, impacting the lives of others. But for the Pharisees, there were three main ways of showing your devotion to God. Fasting, praying, and giving offerings. Fasting, praying, and giving offerings. Now, the Pharisees, the Old Testament required the Jews to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. That's what the Old Testament said. Once a year to the Jews, I want you to fast on the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees added on with their law, the oral law, and required the Jews to fast twice a week. And so Jesus comes along, and it's not that Jesus is disregarding the Old Testament. Jesus is disregarding their oral law that has been passed down from generation to generation where they've taken and added on to the Old Testament. And that's the problem here. And so they had three practices, praying, offering, and fasting, uh, that really for many of the Pharisees were not as much about God, but really showing their piety, 
showing their religious fervor. That's what it had turned into for some, for many of the Pharisees. And so they get frustrated. They start questioning when Jesus does not follow their system of what it looks like to be a good Jew. But they're missing it. See, these practices, prayer, fasting, giving, these practices are given by God. And, and the purpose of God giving these things is to point us to, back to him, to our need for him. Here's what the Pharisees did. They took these things that God had given them, and they used them to point to themselves and say, look how good we are. That's where the Pharisees got off. Remember, it's not that they were not passionate. They were more passionate than any of us. They got off in the fact that it all pointed back to them. So they get frustrated that Jesus does not follow their idea of fasting. And it's, and it's funny because fasting in its core and its design, the whole point of fasting is to point us to our need for God. That's the whole point of, of this practice that, that God gives us of fasting. So let's do this. We're going to keep going in Luke chapter 5, but let's pause the story. So remember, some Pharisees are they're frustrated that Jesus is not fasting. Let's push pause for a second. And let's do a little rabbit trail, can we? Let's talk about fasting. Because we're two years old, I haven't had the chance yet to teach on the idea of fasting. So let's do a little rabbit tail and unpack this for a second. So fasting, for us, one of the, one of the most important practices that the Spirit uses to shape us and mold us, mold us into the image of Christ. Let me say that again. Fasting, one of the most important practices the Holy Spirit uses to shape us and mold us to the image of Christ. Now, it's interesting. The New Testament does not command you to fast. But it assumes you will. Look what Jesus said about this. Matthew chapter 6. says, and when you fast. Notice that. Not if you fast. When you fast. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. You see, you see the point that Jesus is making with the Pharisees? all about others seeing them. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? That others say, man, you're awful spiritual. That, that's, that's simply their reward. That's what Jesus is talking about. But when you fast, again, there's that assumption. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret, secret, will reward you. What's the message of Jesus around fasting? It's a practice that's for you to draw your focus back to God. It has nothing to do with other people seeing you and like, wow, that guy's spiritual. He is really serious. Look how much he fasted. So if you're fasting, here's the idea. You don't come to church and be like, good morning, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I just, I've been fasting for six weeks now. I'm just trying to show my, you know, pursue the Lord and pray for me, brother. No! Right? That's not, what is the purpose of fasting? Fasting is about seeking. It's about longing. Fat, so I read this this week. Fasting is about feasting. Not on food, but on God. Fasting is about feasting. It's understanding that true satisfaction comes from God. Okay? Fasting is not about getting rid of desire, like I just got to squelch all desire. No, fasting is realizing there's a deeper desire than all the other desires I have, and that deeper desire is only fulfilled in Christ. 
And so fasting is this practice that brings a narrative back to our lives. Because it's so easy. If you're, it's so easy just to live the narrative of the world. And fasting is this intentional practice to make myself live in a different narrative. It's in Augustine said this hundreds of years ago. He says this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You live that? You didn't do the search through your 20s, through your 30s, like, oh, I gotta find something, I gotta find something, a bigger house, a bigger boat, more stuff, my... and come to realize, no, my heart's restless until it rests in you, the ultimate desire, the deeper desire. See, fasting is not about not eating. It's about feasting on what's important and bringing myself back to a narrative that says Christ is enough. It's not about what I eat, what I don't eat, how much I eat. It's about seeking God. The Pharisees had turned fasting into this regulation, this duty to show God how serious they were, to show God and others how serious they were. That's not the point of fasting. Fasting is about I want to know the heart of God. I want to find my contentment and my joy in God. And I'm going to deny myself what my body wants in the moment to remind myself there's something deeper than what I want. So I have a few notes. Fasting is not appeasing God. It's not, okay, man, I'm in, I'm in trouble. I did, I did some bad stuff this week. So if I just fast for a day, man, God, that'll kind of make up. It's not about appeasing God. You're not trying to gain his approval through fasting. You're reminding yourself you already have his approval. Fasting is not impressing God. God, look how long I can go without eating. Aren't you proud of me? No, it's not about doing something for God. It's really asking God to work in you, to do something for you. It's understanding your power is not in your discipline and how much you can not eat. Your power is in God. And it's reminding yourself of that. Right? Fasting is not impressing others. We, we, Jesus, we just talked about that. He says, don't look gloomy. Don't have a sad face. Don't, don't make it about being seen by others. Fasting, this is a big one. It's not about dieting. It's not, man, swimsuit season's coming. I'm going to fast for a week. That'll get me. No, it's not about dieting. You can, you can diet all you want, but that's not fasting. Okay? Fasting is about pursuing the heart of God. And this is something that, and I'll just be honest, it's hard for me to get my mind around sometimes because I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in God's sovereignty over all things. And sometimes um, I can err into just saying, well, God's going to do what he wants and I just got to kind of sit back and watch. And, that, and that's an error in Scripture because here's the reality of Scripture that we see. God delights in us pursuing him. Right? And we talk all the time that God pursues us. And when it comes to salvation, he pursues us, he delights in us, he, he chases us, he reveals to us. But all throughout Scripture also is God's invitation to come delight in me, come pursue me. Here's what Jeremiah 29, many of you know this, have you heard this verse? He's talking to Israel, he says of it to Israel, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil 
to give you a hope and a future, right? So there's this great blessing he provides to them. And he says, this is my plan for you. But look what he says after that. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There's this invitation from God to us that says, come on, seek me. Pursue me, pray out to me, cry out to me, ask, God, will you do this in my life? There's this invitation to do that. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's that idea of fasting and, and, and seeking God, repenting it. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There's this invitation of God to seek him and pursue him. And that is what fasting is about. Before Jesus begins his ministry, what's he do? You guys remember? 40 days? Fast. Praise. In the book of Acts, in the New Testament, we see this. Acts 13. While they, these are the first disciples, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. In the early church, when it comes to big decisions on what God would have them to do or where they would, were supposed to go or who to send, you see the New Testament believers fasting and praying, saying, God, we want to know your will. We want to seek you. Let our minds be focused on you. So they fast in order to do that. Acts 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, so, all, so again, Jesus, you know, the Bible doesn't command you to fast as New Testament Christians. But it assumes you will and it invites you to. A couple of things here. I want to make this practical. How does fasting, how does it help us seek the heart of God? How, how does it help us feast on God? Just a few thoughts. Number one, it reminds us of our dependence on God. Right? In our world where it's comfort, let's be real, our world where it's not missing a meal, it can be easy sometimes to start to believe, you know, I got this, I got this, until it all gets swept out and it's like, oh God, I need you. Fasting is this important practice to remind myself, God, I need you every hour, every moment. Fasting, in a practical sense, allows us more time to focus on God. So when you don't eat a meal, guess what you have? Time. And so the purpose is during that time, feast on God, read scripture, pray, pursue the heart of God. This is a big one. This is a big one. Teaches us self-denial. In a world that promotes instant gratification, right? I mean, come on. If you want to see anything right now, go on YouTube. You can find it. I did a whole home remodel on YouTube. It's, it's glorious, right? We can find anything we want to find like that. Instant gratification, which gets a little dangerous sometimes. Fasting takes me out of that narrative. Because you know what you'll want about eight hours into fasting? A hamburger, <laughs> really bad. And you're going to say, oh, I need it. I need it. I need it. And fasting pulls us out and reminds me, no, that instant gratification could get me into a lot of trouble here. Last idea here, fasting allows us to suffer. Now, we don't like this. We don't like the idea of suffering. But there's actually, there's a lot written in the New Testament about the joy and the gift that suffering is 
for us. First Peter will say this, rejoice in your suffering insofar as you share the Christ's sufferings that you almost also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so fasting in a way, it trains our heart for suffering. Here's what we gotta know, guys. And some of you could tell these stories. Suffering is coming, right? For all of us, the dark night is coming. And so if we have lived in this narrative of instant gratification, life is pleasure, and then suffering comes our way, we're, we're toast, we're done, right? But if we have trained ourselves at some level to see what it's like to suffer to, and trained ourselves to pursue God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hunger and thirst, and when we have trained ourselves in that, listen, it's not like suffering comes like, oh God, that's awesome, thank you. But we're ready. Right? We've practiced that. This isn't new to us. So fasting has all these benefits for us, but it's centered around us pursuing God, focusing our heart on God. And then the end of the fast, here's what's cool, the end of the fast, right? What, what happens then? Celebration, right? If you've ever fasted, go two or three days without food and then sit down to your first meal. And all of a sudden, the gifts of God, you know what they are? Gifts. They're gifts. They're not expectation. God, you better feed me. No, they're like, God, thank you for beef. <laughs> it's a gift of yours, right? That, and that's, that's the goal of fasting. We deprive ourselves, we remind ourselves of what's ultimate. Christ is enough. And then as we come and celebrate the gifts again, like, God, you're good. We see the gifts as gifts. Last thing on fasting, some practical implications. The first time I tried to fast, I was in, as right after college, I was working uh, in Pure City as a youth minister, and I decided I was going to fast. I was going to fast from Sunday after church until Wednesday night. I had to speak Wednesday night with some, for some youth, and I was going to fast after that. By the way, don't ever break your fast on Pizza Hut. That's not a good idea. That's, we won't go there. It's a bad story. Um, so anyway, I decided to fast, and here's one of the things I didn't do. I didn't, if you know me sometimes, didn't make a plan. So I just kind of said, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to eat. But I never really decided, okay, what am I going to do? Like, what, what's this fast? I didn't know some of this. I just don't well, fast, don't eat. And so I just kind of not ate uh, for three days, which wasn't any fun. And so if you're going to fast, which I'd encourage some of you, maybe the first time you're learning some of this, maybe set a time to fast. Go short, go a day, day and a half, something like that. But make a plan. Say, hey, during the times when I would normally eat, I'm going to schedule out. I'm going to read these passages, a script, like make a plan ahead of, ahead of time to it. Here's one thing I thought, here would be a fast to do. Maybe don't eat and say, I'm going to read the New Testament. And when I'm done with the New Testament, then I'll break my fast. You might find yourself reading a lot, <laughs> right? But make a plan. So just a few thoughts on fasting, a few options. You can fast from food, right, which is just I'm not going to eat. You can do like a juice fast where all you do is, is drink juice. You can do like a liquid fast where you just drink water and coffee or something like that. Like, don't get legalistic about this thing. The purpose is not what I eat, what I don't eat. No, it's about pursuing God. Um, you can fast from food, drink. You can fast from possessions, right? Your phone, I would love to do that about once a week, fast from my phone. Uh, internet, makeup. No, I have to worry about that. Fast from some type of possession, right? I was, I was tempted this week. Emily, I'm going to fast from the lawnmower all summer just to show my devotion to God. Right? Possessions. You can fast from activities. 
What, what's the hobby that you just love, right? Exercising, golf, whatever it is. Fast from that for a time. Use the time you would normally spend to focus your heart on God, watching TV, social media. So remember, the, the issue is not what you eat, what you don't eat. The purpose is denying yourself, but filling that time with intentional focus on God. Fasting is about feasting on the heart and presence of God. Hey, we'll jump into that more, I'm sure, later on. Let's get back on our story. Rabbit trail, done. I challenge you and encourage you uh, to pursue a practice of fasting. So Luke chapter 5, Jesus and disciples are criticized because they don't fast by the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees are trying to preserve this tradition, these, these laws that they have, and they don't quite realize who they're dealing yet with Jesus. They don't know yet who he is. Now look what Jesus said to him. Verse 34, and Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So Jesus says, interesting response. So the Pharisees say, hey, why don't you guys fast? And Jesus says, well, have you ever been to a wedding and seen the groom and his groomsmen fasting? Have you ever been to a wedding and seen a bride and her bridemaids fasting? What kind of man announces that there's no reason to fast while he is here? Someone that believes he's God. See what Jesus is telling them? The groom is here. The promise is here. We're not going to fast while the promise is here. It's time to celebrate. It's time to do the work. But the disciples, they'll fast afterwards. That's the point. I do a ton of weddings, a ton of weddings. I think I have like five this month that I'm doing. Um, and I've yet to be to a wedding, yet to go to a wedding where I'll walk in and the groomsmen and the bridesmaids are fasting. Anyone been to that wedding yet? No. What are they doing? They're partying, right? They're celebrating. They're having fun. Now, their agendas look quite different. It's so funny, right? It's so funny to watch the groomsmen and the bridesmaids. You know, at the end of the rehearsal, the bride will always pull out this long sheet of paper that has their agenda for the next day, right? And so uh, she'll say, and, and, it's, and it's for the ladies, you know, at 6 a.m. we're going to wake up, we're going to eat, have coffee, we're going to eat breakfast, have mimosas, then at 10 a.m. we're going to go to the salon, we're going to get our hair done, we're going to get our nails done, then we need to be at the church by 11 a.m. because we have to get dressed because the wedding's at 6 and we got to have eight hours to get dressed for this wedding, right? <laughs> That's what it looks like. Now, what's the groomsman like? Guys, just have clothes on, be, be, on, be there on time with your clothes on. That's all we ask of you to do, right? It's, it's totally different. What's Jesus' point? Listen, weddings are about celebrating. They're about celebrating the goodness of God. You don't fast at a wedding. You celebrate. Jesus is announcing the bridegroom is here. And to help them understand, because again, they're not getting this yet, to help them understand that, he's going to give them a couple of parables. Verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. 
So he gives them a very practical way of thinking about what he's trying to communicate to them. He's like, listen, guys, you have clothes on. Sometimes they get ripped. You don't take a brand new piece of fabric that's never been washed and patch it on to your old garment. It doesn't work. When you wash it, the, the fabric will tear apart. That's his point. He tells them another example. Verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed, but the new wine must be put in fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, desires the new, for he says the old is good. So here's what Jesus is saying. He gives them another example. When a winemaker is making wine, in those days they would take a goat or a pig or something like that, and they would tan the hide, and they would sew the hide together to make a, 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 a vat to hold the wine, right? Sounds, sounds really refreshing, wine and pig skin. Um, and so they, they would take this fresh skin, they would put wine in it, then as the wine would ferment, what would the skin do? It would stretch, right? And so by the time it's done aging in this skin, it's stretched, it's starting to crack, it's starting to get old. Okay, so you dump out that wine, it's fermented, it's ready to go. You don't take that same wine skin and put new wine into it. What will happen? It'll burst as it starts to ferment and stretch. What is he communicating to the Pharisees? He's saying, guys, there's been this old thing that's been good, but that old thing is changing, and I am bringing a whole new thing. It's not that I'm just adding to the old. I'm bringing all things new. Um, you guys know me. I'm pretty simple sometimes. I like to draw. I'm not a very good drawer, but I like to draw. So the, Israel has the law. And the law has been the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right? This is how you live. Here's what the law was designed to do. The law was given to the people of Israel. God said to them, you are my covenant people. I am making covenant with you. I'm going to make you in a nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring the Messiah. And Israel, people of Israel, were saved by faith. That is, faith in the promises of God that he would bring this Messiah, right? Abraham was justified by what? Faith, believing God. So for a Jew in this time, to believe God that he would send the Messiah was faith. You were justified. Now the law was simply what God had given them to say, here's what it looks like to be people that are living in covenant with me. Here we go. Don't kill one another. Which in the time that was given was a new command. It's like, oh, really? Right? Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. I mean, we could keep going. This law is given Israel to show them what God is like. Now, here's the challenge with the Pharisees. The law was never given so that they would look at that and be like, yep, I got it. I got it together. Check, 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 check. I did it. Therefore, I'm right with God. No, the law was given by faith they would believe God. And the law, here's what it's about. Repentance. Repentance is turn away from what I want to do, live my way, and live according to God's law. That's what, they, that's what God had given to the Jews. Here's what Jesus is communicating. 
You don't add me under the law. I'm not adding on. I'm not like a piece of cloth you're going to sew into your old system. I'm not this wine you're going to put into your old system, your old wine vats. Here's what he's saying. The law pointed to me. Like everything, he's telling these Pharisees, everything you read in your Old Testament, everything, it's all pointing to me. So when we read about King David and Goliath, right? Little boy David takes a stone, hits Goliath. It's not about conquering your giants. It's not. What's it about? It's about the one day Jesus would send a Messiah that would not take a slingshot to kill evil. He would die to kill evil. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not about bringing something else. I'm about creating this whole new system. Jesus is not getting rid of the old. He is fulfilling the old. So it's not like Jesus said, hey, you know all that stuff from the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament? Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. Throw it out. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? All these things, I am fulfilling them. They all point to me. They're all about me. So you have these Pharisees who are focused on the law and what the Pharisees are not thinking, man, by faith, in God's promises, we are counted righteous, and the law now is about repentance. What were the Pharisees thinking? The law was about showing their faith. The law was about achieving their righteousness. If I can just live according to this law, I will be right with God. And that's where they got so far off. And Jesus is saying, guys, that is wrong. That's, you, you've totally missed it. I am bringing this new thing. I'm getting rid of the old. So Jesus cannot be placed into law-abiding, law-righteousness Judaism. It's separate. See, law-righteousness, old wine, trying, trying to get your righteousness by what you do, cannot be mixed with the grace of Jesus. They're opposite. They're different. The old will bust. The old will tear away. It doesn't work. So Jesus is saying, listen, you can't patch some grace and stitch it into your works righteousness model. It doesn't work like that. Challenge to us New Testament believers especially growing up in the Bible Belt. Come on, here we are in Missouri. We can't stitch a little bit of Jesus into our life and call it Christianity. I'll just, I'll just add a little, I'll just come to church. I'll, I'll, I'll read my Bible, you know, every, I'll, I'll just add a little bit of Jesus in. You can't do that. That's what you do with dieting. You add a little vegetables into your diet. Right? I add a little... I'll add a little exercise into my life. That's what you do. Jesus is about a totally new life. Paul would say this, for me, to live is Christ. He's everything. 
I can't stitch a little bit of Jesus into my old life, call it Christianity, and try to be a good moral person and think I've understood what it is, the life of Christ. Jesus is everything. Michael Wilson, one of our, uh, one of our employees, showed me this quote this week from C.S. Lewis. Here's what it says. Awesome. If Christianity is false, it's of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Right? And so we are, if you come here every week, you'll hear me, we are gospel-centered, we are grace-driven in our approach. We center ourselves around grace, saying we will never earn our way in. But what we never want to communicate is, oh, thanks for grace, I can just come to church and call, call it good. No, it's stitching the old into your own way of life. It's trying to stitch Jesus in, and it doesn't work. So the Pharisees ask, why don't you fast? Why did Jesus, why don't you and your disciples fast? Here's what Jesus is saying. Because I'm not here just to try to follow your rules. Remember, they just have the law. They also have the oral law that they wrote on top of that, which is where they get their fasting things. He says, no, I'm bringing something incredibly different, totally new. We see Paul write about this. I don't know if you guys remember, Paul's a Pharisee. Remember Saul? Paul, the one that wrote most of your New Testament? He was a Pharisee. He was these people. And he writes about this. Tra- and again, you got to think for Saul. I mean, he's, he's known this upbringing of, man, this is what it looks to be a good Jew. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and says, no, there's this totally new way that's come. There's this new righteousness that comes. And he's trying to wrestle with this. And he's like, no, Forget Jesus. He's like, I'm just going to kill every Christian that's trying to follow Jesus. It's in the middle of that that God comes to him and says, yeah, Saul, you're not going to do this anymore. You're actually going to be doing, working for my name. And you can imagine the struggle of Saul. He's been living his life as a Pharisee under this system, trying to grasp this new life of Jesus. He writes about it in Philippians 3. Here's what he says, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, that means kind of looking to yourself to justify your, your, your own self. Here's what he says, I have more. I have more confidence. He gives, his, he gives his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, the best of the best. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, what's he say? A Pharisee. Nailed it. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I was so set to show God how serious I was, I was trying to kill any Christian there was. As to righteousness under the law, what's he say? Blameless. Here's what Paul's saying. My focus used to be making myself righteous based on this law. And I did it perfectly. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss, all of his works of self-righteousness, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things that I may gain him 
I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that depends on faith. See what his point is? Paul came to learn that it wasn't about, Jesus wasn't about bringing something else to this table. Jesus was about this whole new thing. And it was a struggle for Paul to work through that, to learn that his righteousness is by faith in Christ, not through works of the law. Which brings, and, and I've had this, uh, people wrestle with this, it brings us to this hard question, right? Because we have, we have the law, we have the Old Testament, but we have all of the commands of the New Testament, right? If you've ever read the New Testament, are there some tough, tough commands in there? Forgive, love your enemies. Anyone seen those besides me and be like, wow, that's tough, right? There's some tough, tough commands in there. Then you have Jesus, or we could just use this idea of the gospel, this good news of Jesus that says like, by grace you're saved, not works, Right? So there's this confusion come in, like the Bible has a lot of do's and don'ts over here on the law side, but then over here, like on, on Jesus and grace, there's this like, it's not about what you do. Anyone else find that confusing? So I have a list of do's and don'ts on this side, but on this side it says, well, it's not about what you do and don't. Well, which one is it? Here's how I would, we, we teach this as we, as we do discipleship here in the Green Book makes sense to a lot of people. Here's what we find. The point of the law is to drive us to Jesus. Like the point of the do's and don'ts is you would look at those do's and don'ts and look at the do's and say, I I did, I didn't. (laughs) And look at the don'ts and say, I did. You know what your conclusion should be? Guilty. Now, you can stay over here on this law side, I'm like, okay, now I gotta prove, I gotta work harder, I gotta get a new checklist, gotta work harder over here. You can try to do that, but that would be righteousness according to the law. You'll never do it good enough. So here's the purpose of the law, to drive us to Jesus, right? That we would see the law, say, forgive those who hurt you, and I'd be like, I haven't done that. I've held on to unforgiveness before. I'm guilty according to the law. Therefore, I need Jesus. I need him to, by grace, save me from that. And I look to Jesus because Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. He fulfilled it. So on the cross, Jesus being nailed, to the people that are nailing to the cross, what's he say? Lord, forgive them. Jesus did it perfectly. Jesus fulfilled the law. And so because, as a Christ follower, now my righteousness in Jesus, then when God looks at me, what's he see? Sinner that didn't forgive someone? No, what's he see? Come on. Huh? Yeah, he sees Jesus, doesn't he? Who perfectly did. Now, I can camp out over here now and be like, well, in that case, I can just do whatever I want to do. Right? If it's not about me forgiving anyone, then I don't have to. God sent Jesus. I'll I'll just live over here and I'll hate everyone that ever did anything bad to me. No. Here's what happens. So the faith comes in here. By faith, I believe that Jesus took my sin upon himself, and that counts me righteous with God. But here's repentance. 
that Jesus and the gospel now, by freedom, allows me to live out the commands of God. That's the design. See, Jesus didn't come and say, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter. Forget it. That, all that don't kill one another, yeah, that's old, that's old Testament. I'm bringing new. No. Here's what he says. The law was good, but it's not meant to make you righteous. It's meant to teach you how to follow God. And so now that by faith, and the God, I'm, I'm cleansed by faith in Jesus, repentance now is me saying the commands of God, the law, is for my good. It's not this list of do's and don'ts that begrudgingly I'm like, well, fine, I'll do it. I'm not going to like it. Like when you ask your kids to clean your room, clean their room. No, the law are the good commands of God for his glory and for my joy. So anyone ever forgiven anyone that you really didn't want to? Was there not a freedom that came over you in that? Maybe you didn't like it in the moment. On the back end, you're like, yeah, God's good. It's for my joy. Right? Law, commands say, hey, don't look lustfully at a woman. Men, come on. In that moment, we'd, we'd rather just look, right? But is, is there not a joy that comes from obedience? Is there not a delight in your wife at a deeper level that comes from obedience? See, that's the idea. The commands of God are given for his glory and our joy. And so the gospel-centered life says, listen, there's do's and don'ts all through the Bible. Allow those do's and don'ts to drive me to my need for Jesus. And understand that I'm forgiven, I'm clean, and now because of that, May I live the way he's called me to live. And, and we have this other thing called the Holy Spirit that, that comes in and empowers us to live that way. That's the new. That's the new life that Jesus was talking about. And he says, listen guys, I've not come to sow something new onto the old. I've come to fulfill the old and bring a whole new life. Question for you, Christian 2,000 years later. Are you still trying to live here? I know you are. You know why I know you are? Because when I sit across and talk to you and you tell me uh, about something you're struggling with, this automatic shame and guilt and God hates me and I'm not even a good Christian comes over you. You know what that is? That's trying to find your righteous according to the law. And so this new life that Jesus brings us one where we realize by grace we're saved. Not by our actions, by grace through faith. And it's not of our undoing, it's a gift of God. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. And then because we're saved, now let me delight in the commands of God for his glory and for my joy. That is the new life that Christ is bringing. He's abolishing the old. And that's why the Pharisees will start to grow from interest in Jesus to questioning Jesus to hostility against Jesus. And you will start to see this change over the next few chapters of the book of Luke. Because when you mess with someone's self-righteousness, you're going to get some wrath. And that's what Jesus is going to get. So as we come this morning for communion, 
Let this drawing be a reminder to yourselves, right? Why do you come for communion? Because the law has found you guilty, right? It's found you guilty. It's found you lacking. And you come to communion to remind yourself, by faith in Christ, I dip it in the cup. It's his blood that forgives me for my lack of law-keeping. And by grace, I'm made new. And as you leave, it's like walking back now, away from that, walking back in this new life to which God has freed me to obey him, freed me to delight in his commands. That's the practice of communion. It's meant to show us this new life in Christ.